I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Banking Weekly from the Financial Times with me, Patrick Jenkins. Joining me in the studio today are David Crow, our banking editor, Nick McGaw, our retail banking correspondent, and down the line from Oslo, we have Richard Milne, our Scandinavian correspondent. We also have a guest in the form of Marco Morelli, the chief executive of Monte de Paschi. This week, we'll be discussing the variety of views over Brexit and potential provisioning among UK banks, a look at Swedbank as it gets drawn into the Danske money laundering scandal, and finally, a look at Italy and how easy or tricky it is for Italian banks to fund themselves. First, though, to that Brexit story. As the clock ticks on towards the end of March deadline for Brexit, Nick and David, you've been taking a look at what the different UK banks said alongside the results about their financial preparations for Brexit, particularly provisioning top-ups that they see as being wise. Nick, most banks are being quite cautious about this, but some are more upbeat than others. Tell us what you found in the small print of the disclosures last week. Yeah, so if you look through the annual accounts that have been coming out, because of some new accounting rules that came in last year, everybody, every bank has to take account of the potential outcomes for the economy. And given the amount of uncertainty at the moment, that means that everyone has taken more impairments than they would have done under the old system. The division that is arising is that for some of those banks, they've taken extra provisions on top of that because they think that the level of risk and uncertainty is such that normal economic models don't quite cover it. So HSBC have been the most cautious, but you also have Royal Bank of Scotland and Barclays have taken various top-ups over the last couple of months. And at the other end of the scale, you've got Lloyds and Santander being slightly less pessimistic. Yes, and TSB as well. None of them took any extra top-ups. So, David, what do you see as being the bottom line conclusion that we can take from this? Is it just simply that different CEOs and different finance directors are more or less bullish about Brexit? Or is there something more fundamental going on? Well, I think it tells us something that we've known for some time. It puts numbers on a story that has been emerging, which is that there is a split among the UK banks over the likelihood and the dangers of a hard Brexit. There are some reasons that banks like Lloyd's might feel that they have sort of a better outlook than HSBC, such as they have a much greater proportion of mortgages, secured lending and so on. But nonetheless, the mood music for a long time has been, you know, the CEO of RBS coming out looking a little bit like Eeyore on Brexit and others being much more upbeat. And this just really puts the numbers on what we've known for some time. The fact that Lloyd seem to be the most upbeat, is that anything to do with the fact that their chairman has been pro-Brexit all along and his mood is infecting the executive, do you think? Well, it certainly puts the bank in a tricky position, I suppose, because when one talks to the chairman of Lloyd's, he's supremely confident in our future outside of the European Union. And that, it cannot be said, is a view that is shared by others in the city. 
Yeah, Lord Norman Blackwell stands out as being a Brexit optimist among a sea, as you say, of eels. Well, we'll all be watching very closely to see what happens politically over the next couple of weeks and whether Lord Blackwell is able to say, I told you so. Let's move on to our second topic and a look at Swedbank, which has been drawn into the Danske Bank money laundering scandal. So we're joined now by Richard Milne in Oslo. Richard, what's behind Swedbank getting drawn into the Danske affair? Well, Swedbank is the largest of the Nordic banks in the Baltics. So everybody's been looking at it for some time since the Danske allegations surfaced last year and before. What sparked it now is that a Swedish investigative TV programme by the state broadcaster alleged that $5.8 billion had been funnelled between suspect accounts in Swedbank and Danske. And the shares fell 20% last week. Swedbank was forced to announce that it was appointing an external investigator. And then this week, rather embarrassingly, it's been forced to boot out that external investigator and hire another one. So uh, Swedbank is still struggling to show that it's got a grip of the situation. Now, just to remind listeners, this all dates back to the enormous Danske Bank scandal where they were found to have funneled potentially dodgy money through their Estonian branch for a long period. Up to now, we know that other banks had been drawn into it as correspondent banks, using the jargon, Deutsche Bank being the biggest among them. But Swedbank is also alleged to have had that kind of relationship and therefore been dragged in. Well, there's some separate things here. So the Danske scandal is from 2007 to 2015, about 200 billion euros of money from Russia and other ex-Soviet states flows through Danske's tiny Estonian branch. A lot of it is presumed to be suspicious. But Danske is only one link in the chain of this potential money laundering and the banks either side of it. The correspondent banks you mentioned, that's the likes of Deutsche and JP Morgan and Bank of America, they're dealing with any flows into dollars because Danske didn't have its own US banking license. I mean, Swedbank's role is different. This is potentially transactions between suspicious customers in Danske and accounts in Swedbank. Now, we can't say what's going on. But what's happened is Bill Browder, who's a critic of the Kremlin of Russia, he has been investigating very closely these flows. And he sort of builds up a mosaic by investigating one bank. And then he discovers the kind of transactions with other banks. And then he looks into this. And so Swedbank have said that really in the next month by their AGM at the end of March, they're looking to have answers from their external investigator. And just a final word, as you mentioned, they announced the appointment of EY last week. Why have they ditched EY and replaced them with another external investigator this week? Well, the appointment drew quite a lot of criticism because EY is under investigation by a Danish government agency over its role as an auditor in 2014 of Danske Bank. Um, we should point out that pretty much all the big audit firms were involved in Danske and are under investigation as well. But it's obvious that Swedbank got a lot of negative media attention and they also seem to have got some feedback from shareholders as well. So they took the decision today to replace EY with a group called Forensic Risk Alliance, which is an international consultancy that's worked on cases such as Rolls-Royce and Telia when they had bribery problems. Well, all in all, Richard, it looks like you're going to be kept busy by this widening scandal for some time yet. But thanks for updating us. 
Let's move on now to our final story and a look at the Italian banking sector. We'll be listening in a moment to what Marco Morelli, the chief executive of Monte di Paschi, had to say to us the other day about the funding conditions in the market and other issues. But first, David, there's been a bit of good news in the last day or so from Fitch, the rating agency, which has taken not a negative view of the Italian banking sector. Well, it's interesting, isn't it, what passes for good news in the Italian banking sector these days. There had been some suggestion by Fitch late last year that Italy's rating would be under pressure. And yesterday it said that it was maintaining its rating for Italy. Now, that is important for the Italian banks because they hold oodles of Italian government debt. And a downgrade would have led to a sell-off that would have forced them to mark all their holdings to market and blown a hole in their finances and so on. So, yes, a sort of rare piece of respite. Yeah, absolutely. Which should translate through, I guess, into, well, at least not worsening conditions in their own funding market. As I said, you and I sat down with Marco Morelli from Monte di Paschi probably the most troubled of Italy's banks a couple of weeks ago. Now, Mr. Morelli was brought in after the government bailout of the bank to help bring it back to health. And he's been working pretty systematically through the challenges that the bank faces. We started off by asking him about their own access to the bond markets and their successful placement of a covered bond. There was a clear window in the market. It's been a number of years since the last cover bond issuance by the bank. We realized there was interest from investors. We originally thought in terms of a 500 million euro size. And then in a matter of few hours, we did realize that demand was well in excess of 2 billion. And this is why eventually we decided to close the books with uh, 1 billion at a very interesting uh, coupon. The reason why we went for that at the very beginning of the year was that we want to make sure our liquidity buffer and uh, our liquidity position altogether was managed in the most appropriate way. Next, we asked Mr. Morelli about the broader funding situation. Again, as we stated in the year-end results call with investors and analysts, as soon as there is a window of opportunity, we're going to go for it. Clearly, everything will be done in the context of preserving our top line, uh, the top line of our PNL, and in the context of the overall liquidity strategy for 2019. And finally, one other thing that Mr. Morelli has been doing is focusing on assets that they can sell off in order to bolster their finances, and particularly looking at the large property portfolio that MPS has, not least the very lavish palazzi that it owns, including one in Milan. One of the commitments of the restructuring plan with the European Commission is to sell up to 500 million euro equivalent of real estate assets by the end of 2021. We are in the process of finalizing prep work on a number of assets we are going to put up for sale in the next few weeks. Again, everybody will be dealt with in the context of protecting the PNL of the company and making sure we do meet the requirement of the European Commission. But hopefully you can make a capital gain on these sales. Let's see what the market express in terms of potential value. 
Well, David, you were there at that meeting with me. I found Mr. Morelli very interesting to talk to. Were you convinced that he is someone who can fix this bank and more broadly is reflective of, I suppose, a more professional attitude to fixing the Italian banking sector as a whole? Well, he was relatively upbeat for somebody who arguably has one of the hardest jobs in Italian banking. Although, you know, the sort of argument that we can just about raise money when the conditions are good is probably one that gets you by for now, but is not a long term plan. And of course, there is also all of the political mood music in Italy, this bank in particular, the sort of centre of that. So you know, upbeat for now, but wait and see, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Those funding markets are particularly fragile, not least for the Italian banks like NPS. But obviously, as we've reported before, these problems are not confined to Italy, Deutsche Bank being particularly vulnerable as well. Well, that's it for this week. All that's left for me to do is to thank David and Nick here in the studio and also Richard, who joined us from Oslo. And thank you to Marco Morelli for speaking to us from MPS. If you're not already an FT subscriber, do take a look at our latest subscription offer at ft.com offer. And remember, you can keep up to date with all of the latest banking stories at ft.com banking. Banking Weekly was produced by Fiona Simon. Until next week, goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.